Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lug It All podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today, we are discussing Eternals, the 2021 American superhero film based off of the Marvel Comics race of the same name, produced by Marvel Studios and developed Sorry, uh, distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. It is the 26th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, a.k.a. the MCU. It's directed by Chloe Zhao. I have not read the comic books, but I have done a little bit of research on Chloe Zhao. She has won tons of awards for her movie uh, Nomadland in 2020. It was a very... uh, Let's just say National Geographic slash indie slash film of a movie. It feels like she understands how to shoot wide scaping vistas and leave the camera lingering on the actors a little bit longer than necessary in some cases. Um, but I will say she's a talented director, uh, Chloe Zhao, and I appreciate the representation that she brings behind the camera and in front of uh, in front of the camera with uh, Jimmy Chan. Um, and I got to say the diversity in this uh, movie is quite impressive, almost to a painstaking degree. They go to um, the length of having every single color, every single race you could probably think of all under the sun. The Captain Planet special of we got a black guy, we got an Indian guy, we got a uh, Asian Asian lady, we got a, a British man, we got a, we got uh, some people. Uh, we have people that are uh, handicapped. We have some people that are bigger bones, some people that are smaller bones. We have people of all shapes and sizes. So basically what they're trying to do is, uh, you know, complete the void of uh, having, um, you know, a non-gay character in uh, their movies, you know. Sorry, a non-straight character. So they have they do have a gay character at this point. But what I'm saying is they basically went through the list of everything they they haven't completed, you know, attractive Indian man, you know, check. We got to do that. Um so by the definition of uh you know being quote unquote woke, Eternals is trying to um check all those boxes. Now um, as someone that enjoys proper representation in film and stuff like that, having a female uh, a person of color behind the camera is very important. Um, it's, it's important for the representation. Now, with saying all that, Eternals, Eternals has a lot of good things that are going for it, or at least that it swings for the fences to do, but it's execution i feel like is where it really drops the ball um so with saying that i'd say the pros of this movie i have i i kind of split down the middle of this i wanted to know why it was 50 percent on uh rotten tomatoes i know a lot of people are giving it kind of 
uh, crap for, you know, not being, quote unquote, as good as the other MCU movies. And I got to say, there's a couple points that we have to, um, you know, there's a couple points that we have to point out here. First of all, MCU's uh, movies as as a whole, since this is like the 26th one in the bunch, and I've seen the majority of all of them. I haven't seen like Thor 2 or something like that. Um, but I've seen just about all of them. This movie ranks on the lower end of those, uh, of the majority of MCU movies, probably because we've had such good ones before it. We've seen teams come together. We've seen other superhero films. We've seen this formula before of everyone kind of coming together and having to fight the the big bad or or whatever. And so when they're when in, when the Eternals is doing it, they're going to have to make it that much more interesting than the twenty six movies that have done somewhat of the similar formula plot before. So. With saying that, the Eternals are, for anyone that has no idea who they are, they've been apparently on the Earth the entire time that the rest of the MCU has been happening. We just haven't been able to see it. Um, and so this movie is supposed to uh, cover all of the bases of where the hell these Eternals have been, what they've been doing, what they've been fighting against, and, and really what their story is. And so with having this movie... Um, I think they said there's about 10 Eternals. So that's 10 protagonists we have to have. Plus we have to have any antagonists that are fighting our good guys. And on top of that, um, fit it all under an hour and 57 minutes. So a two and a half hour movie is quite lengthy, but we really almost needed a full three hours to have a full length movie to understand every single person's uh, point of view, their understanding of the world, what what they've been doing, what their goal is, what their motivations are. I feel like a lot of the motivations and understandings of the characters are brushed aside or put or or kind of just like not addressed nearly as much because there are so many characters. There's way too many characters in this, I think, for it to comfortably be spread out. Um, the trailers and the marketing make it seem like some of the Eternals are in it a lot more than they are. I've noticed this in some marketing recently that they are gunning like hell to have big name actors to show up in movies for maybe three to four minutes. And it's like, why are we, I know I know why you do it, because you want to have people go to see your movie, but it's really getting irritating for me as a viewer saying, oh, wow, I can't wait to see Zendaya in Dune. And then we go see Zendaya in Dune, and she's in the trailer longer than she's actually in the movie. And I feel like we're starting to hit that that threshold at this point. Now, granted, they could have been in the movie longer. Um, uh, some of the Eternals I'm talking about are like Angelina Jolie's character, Brian Tyree Henry's character. It feels like we're trying to walk the line of having all of these characters have a necessary, interesting backstory and make it relevant to the plot. But also, 
it's like if we're not going to have the time to flesh the characters out, then let's just write them out. They don't need to be here, to be honest. There's too many characters. Um, uh, going on with the pros again, I uh, the action is generally pretty good. It's entertaining, but it's still within the PG-13 realm, I think, that uh, uh, the MCU likes to play in. And we even go to the point of having these uh, the antagonists for the, at least the first big chunk of this movie are called deviants. It's basically these big CGI looking ass characters that are fighting the Eternals. I had a pretty rough time getting behind the deviants being the big bad for the Eternals, the majority of the movie. I know that that's first uh, spoiler standpoint. I can't really go into full details about why the deviants don't work for me, but I just feel like they're more or less a MacGuffin to, to be honest. It's kind of the suicide squad effect of, it doesn't matter if they're going out to fight all of these aliens. It feels like the aliens are nonsensical. It, it's the it's the faceless, nameless henchmen that our protagonists get to fight. And they get to destroy them all the different ways they want to because they are non-human. And so I think we're starting to butt up against like, all right, uh, the MCU has had some really pretty interesting villains for the majority of them, but this is where I feel like we're starting to hit the threshold of like, all right, we need to they're make they're whipping characters out the ass because they just really don't have anything else to come up with. I feel it is what I'm feeling like, and in comparison to watching the what if shows i feel like the what if shows are trying doing a little bit better of a job of establishing motivations of characters and and uh slight world building even though they're going on a less um less amount of time and uh i had my buddy haytham i was talking uh to about i was like i think i liked the ending of what if season one better than i liked the eternals and mostly because i felt like this movie felt a little flat in areas and it's because there is this two and a half hour runtime but it's not only that it's the fact is the non-linear storytelling of kind of jumping between different times makes this feel longer than it really needs to in my opinion and thus makes makes an already confusing movie even more confusing um and in when I say confusing, I, I don't necessarily find it that confusing. I'm more or less saying the overarching plot for why it's even happening is kind of dumb. And I'll, of course, we'll go into spoilers about why that is. But I'm, my guess is the reason that people really do like it is they're kind of connecting a little bit more with some of these newer characters. Uh, Jim Chan, uh, Richard Madden. I like Kumail Nanjiani, uh, Leah McHugh. Brian Tyree Henry, Lauren, uh, Lauren Ridoff, Brian Keoghan, uh, Don Lee. We have uh, Harish Patel, Kit Harrington, Salma Hayek, Angelina Jolie. It is a stacked ass ensemble cast. And there's just too many damn fucking people to have everyone have uh, an Avengers type moment. You know, it's not really like that. It's um, it's it, it's shown in a, a different way, I guess. Now. When we're bringing in Chloe Zhao, she's bringing – I would assume she's bringing in a little bit more of a sense of direction that is kind of 
slightly more artistic and stylistically different than the majority of the MCU has ever seen. And I think that's another reason why it does feel like it feels like a different color palette. It doesn't feel as um, flat lighting as all the other MCU movies have felt. Um, This one is what many people would say tonally different and um, moody. I would say that unfortunately because it does have this this moody element to it, not that I'm against that moody element. I'm glad that there is some somberness to it. I just didn't really feel like they were – I felt like we were more somber in Endgame with regards of the world and the character than we were in here. But But what we were showing and being told that this was really somber, really dramatic and really deep um, – and I just didn't quite feel that at this point. Um, also, what I had heard is it feels like these people are dealing with pedestrian ideas when they're actually gods. And I kind of had that problem as well. It, it felt like sometimes they were in the the mind of a 7,000-year-old god and then sometimes it felt like they were in the mind of like a – a 45 year old man, but, uh, it, it did kind of, uh, you know, go back and forth from tonal whiplash, which again, fed into the pacing as well. Um, again, the antagonist, I was not crazy about, um, the powers were, in my opinion, it felt like the powers were inconsistent. It just kind of like they whipped out whatever they needed to. I might've needed to go back and rewatch this a couple times to kind of understand their actual power sets. I understand that uh, Richard Madden's supposed to be like the the home uh, sorry the Superman analogish um, character and uh, you know we have like the flash character we have like the analogs for what would be like the Justice League of the MCUs. I just didn't feel like I had that much fun and understanding of the world and with the first hour of what's happening, it, the first hour needs to come out of the gate swinging. It's got to be some of the most interesting, coolest uh, things I've ever seen. In the first 20 minutes, I felt like I was watching a DC movie. It almost felt to the level of like Venom of some sort. I was like, oh, my sweet Jesus. Um, but I, I haven't seen the new Venom, so I can't really compare it to that one. But let, let's talk a little about this in a little bit more detail. So the film was directed by Chloe Zhao and, it, and uh, stars an ensemble cast, screenplay by uh, Patrick Berlow, Ryan Ferripo, Kaz Ferripo, I guess they're brothers, and um, of course the ensemble cast. Um, in the film The Internals, an immortal alien race um, emerged from hiding after thousands of years to protect Earth from their ancient counterparts, the Deviants. In April 2018, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige announced that the film based on The Eternals had begun development with Ryan and Kaz Faripo. Hired to write the script in May, um, and then Zhao was set uh, to direct the film by late September, and had been given significant creative freedom with the film, which resulted in filming on location more than previous MCU films, which... I thought generally felt like we were at the, at the place. It just didn't feel like being there really meant that much different. You know, I, because 
they're gods and they're able to just pop up out of nowhere, it almost feels inconsequential where they're really at most of the time. It just feels like as long as they're protecting whoever they're protecting, they are. My problem was when they were having fighting scenes, I was like, where the fuck are the Eternals? Like sometimes they would they would all go together and they would all fight together. But then there'd be other times it'd just be one or two of them. And it felt like they were take, being taken out like no problem. Like I feel like we're supposed to understand the Eternals are like super, super powerful. And I never got that this entire movie. Some of the power sets are even said that they're not even that cool or they're uh, – Jim Chan's – uh, like character even says like I guess I can turn things and like di- I, I can change the the matter of what things are and stuff like that. I was like, all right, I guess that's that's a cool power. I guess um, I thought we learned from X Men that what's cool powers and what's not. But if you have to point out that it's not a cool power, then why even? And I understand that it's so that the the power set like upgrades itself, but it's like we don't have time for that. I just feel like as an audience, we just are programmed to understand, you know, you can upgrade your power level, but you just cannot start at something really shitty. And I felt like this is kind of a dumb power set. So Zhao rewrote the screenplay, which which, uh, Berlay was later reported to have contributed to. Principal photography took place from July 2019 to February 2020 at Pinewood Studios, um, as well as on location in London, Oxford, England, in the Canary Islands. Um, Yeah, they just missed – it looked like they finished up right at the beginning of COVID starting and stuff like that at February 2020. That's crazy. I know that this was delayed several times, probably because of uh, special effects and post-production and stuff like that, all of that jazz, um, and obviously it being released. Eternals premiered in Los Angeles on October 18, 2021. It was released theatrically in the United States on November 5th as part of Phase 4 of the MCU. The film has grossed over $161 million worldwide and received mixed reviews from critics with praise centering on its themes and visuals and criticisms aimed at its exposition pacing, runtime, and lack of character development, which are basically all of the things that I was I was having a problem with. Too many characters, the pacing's like wonky, and uh, the lack of character development, again, too many characters. Um, so all of those kind of run hand in hand. Um, so w- what they really needed to do was cut about two or three of these characters off, to, in, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, so... Um, music was by Roman Dijuani. Uh, Dijuani, I think. He's the guy from uh, Game of Thrones. He's made the score for Westworld and stuff like that. He's a he's a great composer from uh, Clash of the Titans. This actually had a little bit of Clash of the Titans feel to it, in my opinion. I was uh, when I was watching this, this that, it definitely had that feeling. Um, but I was I was I was down with the the music. Let me see what else we got on here before we go into full spoilers for this movie. A budget of $200 million. Yeah, it's an expensive one. Um, Craig Wood was a direct, uh, editor. Ben Davis was a cinematographer. I was curious what the cinematographer actually has done before. Same cinematographer as uh, – I've heard Layer Cake's pretty good. Um, Hannibal Rising I have not seen. Incendiary, I've heard decent things I think from that. 
Um, Kick-Ass. Okay, so it did kind of look like Kick-Ass the more I think about it. Seven Psychopaths, Wrath of the Titans. Um, so it did have the Clash of the Titans um, uh, cinematographer, or what was it? The, the Wrath of the Titans, sorry. And let me see, Long Way Down, Guardians of the Galaxy, same cinematographer. Age of Ultron, same cinematographer. He's done, dude, this cinematographer has done work. Holy Santa Claus. Guardians of the Galaxy, Age of Ultron, Doctor Strange, uh, Three Billboards, Captain Marvel, Dumbo. Damn, he's been under the uh, Disney umbrella for a minute as well. Um, so, yeah, I I was I was pretty impressed by the cinematography. But, um, yeah, let's hop into the spoiler section for The Eternals. I would give this hmm. – I didn't think it was like a full-on miss. Like I wasn't like actively like hating the movie. I, I start to dislike movies when I give it about a 6 out of 10. But points for trying, but I just didn't think it really moved the ball forward. Like I didn't want to rewatch it. So I'd say it's about a 7 out of 10. If I had some sort of emotional reaction to any of the characters, it probably would have been an 8 out of 10. But I just didn't think that the majority of it really was pulling the heartstrings at all for me. So, yeah, let's um, continue on. Um, let's continue on with uh, the plot for Eternals. Again, we're giving it a 7 out of 10, basing it off of the majority of uh, the visuals and look of it. It's mostly the story and and character development that is just really lacking for me. So let's hop into the plot of Eternals. It's Eternal Eternals. Let me get a little bit of coffee. <clears throat> so y'all let me know what you're thinking about the Eternals uh, review. I'm curious what everyone else was thinking was what is not and what is working for you with regards to this movie. I'm, I'm curious what everyone's uh, comments are in the comment section. And again, if I'm getting any uh, of the facts wrong or anything that we're covering in the review, please uh, kindly update me in the, the comment section. And again, thank you for subscribing, following, thumbs upping all of the whatever you can do to help this, uh, the podcast. It really helps support the podcast. I can't do it without you all. And um, again, let me know how I can improve and if I get anything wrong. So let's get into the plot of Eternals. Um, okay. In 5000 BC, 10 superpowered Eternals, Ajax, Circe, Icarus, Kingo, Sprite, Fastios, Makari, Druig, Gilgamesh, and Athena are sent by the celestial Arishim. Arishim. Uh, I'm, and like I said, I'm going to get the names wrong. I'm going to trip all over those, so bear with me. Um, I'm just going to call him Ashrim. I know it's not that's not his name, but I'm just going to call him Ashrim. So um, Ashrim sends all these Eternals to Earth in 10,000 BC uh, to exterminate the invasive deviants. And we're told 
midway through the movie. I know I'm going to kind of bounce all around this movie, but we'll find out why the deviants are even there. It's, it's so that it progresses humans. And so the deviants were, were taking out the humans, but then the deviants got out of control. So we got to send down something to fix the deviants, which is the Eternals. So um, there you go. Over the millennia, they protect humanity from the deviants, but are not allowed to interfere interfere with human affairs. Now, this is something that I do like how the movie uh, portrays the ideals of the Eternals. The ideals of the Eternals, some of them are like having real problem. Some of them are having a real problem sitting back and letting terrible things happen throughout humanity. And I do feel like they have to go through a level of exposition of, hey, this is why we haven't been around for the entire MCU. Um, and I, I got to say that there's a call to call back to Superman being in the MCU. Um, I've got a lot of questions about that. Like that completely opens up the door to a whole nother level. Um so they kill the last of the deviants in, in the 1500s, and the group's opinions differ about their continued responsibilities and their rela relationship with humankind. They spend the next 500 years mostly separated from each other, waiting for Ashram to send them home. Uh, in present day, Cersei and Sprite live together in London. After Cersei was left by her partner, Icarus, over 500 years earlier, she now has a relationship with a human, uh, Dane Whitman, who works at the National History Museum, who is played by Kit Harington, which basically he's in there for like two scenes. And uh, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the spoiler scenes at the end. Uh, just real quick, I, I assume you would have watched this movie already. Two spoiler quick scenes. We find out that Kit Harrington ends up becoming, I think, I think Black Knight, and then um, uh, Harry Styles is introduced as some sort of uh, some sort of character. I think it was all in the mag, all in the articles online. So you can do a little bit of research on that. I'm not going to go too much into detail about the Harry Styles watermelon sugar of it all, but if you know what I mean. Um uh that those were the stinger scenes. Um and so my biggest thing was like there was almost no reason to have Kit Harrington in this, but you know, that's just neither here or there. Um and again, Cersei and Kit Harrington have decent chemistry, but again, I feel like her head sometimes feels like she has been She's been living as like a regular human for a little bit, but then other times it feels like she's a god. But it's the the continuity and it just doesn't can it doesn't feel like that. I guess I almost felt like we needed Kit Harrington to be introduced as an eternal so that we could understand their whole legal you know what's going on with them because we start off with like a big exposition dump. Uh, scrolling title of words going up the screen and you have to just understand all these eternals the celestials the deviants it's like oh shit this is this is a lot to handle 
Um, so it would have been kind of nice to have maybe like a Kit Harrington walking through being our proximity to, oh my gosh, this is the world, holy fuck, you know, <laughs> shit like that. Um, the trio is suddenly attacked by a deviant Creo with Icarus arriving and chasing the creature away. Realizing the deviants have returned, uh, they prepare to reunite um, reunite with their remaining Eternals. They traveled to South Dakota. And I got to say, this first battle, I was like, uh, when it was happening at night, I was getting real Venom vibes and DC vibes. I was like, wow, I, I feel like y'all shot this at night outside by a... a uh, by a river in like Europe, but like, I don't know where the fuck we are and I don't know what the fuck you're fighting. I don't, the deviants, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you could literally rip a deviant's head apart in a rated G movie and it wouldn't matter. It's like nobody gives a shit about these ugly looking things. I, the, the deviants were my biggest problem the first hour of the movie. I was like, my God, you're going to try to have some really interesting eternals, but like have the worst, um, antagonist that I've seen in a long time. So, um, yeah, realizing the deviants have returned, they prepare to reunite with the remaining Eternals. Team Assemble! They traveled to South Dakota only to find that Ajax, their leader, had been killed by Crow before he went to London, gaining her abilities as a result. So, the deviants are, like, absorbing the abilities of the Eternals, which instantly makes it feel like the Eternals are not nearly as powerful as they're supposed to be. And they're already supposed to be more powerful than the rest of all of the superheroes that we've been introduced in the MCU. So what is the power basis here? We got, okay, so we got Ashram like way up here. And so apparently Ashram created the Deviants, but the Eternals are supposed to defeat the Deviants which puts them above the deviants, but that the deviants can absorb the power of the Eternals, which brings them back down lower. So that should really make the deviants stronger than the Eternals if they can kill them. So they're they're more or less like the same power structure. But it's like, so, okay, so the Eternals and the deviants are about the same, and then they're all under Ashram, I guess. But it's like, I guess, the like the power structure just does not make sense for me. Let alone does it make sense for them to have been fighting these deviants for thousands of years and us never have heard about it. It's just like I understand that this is a, a, a fictional world and my head's not exposed. It's not supposed to wrap around what makes sense. But still, for God's sakes, y'all couldn't have come up with something a little bit better. But I don't know. Um, and the way that they reference the MCU in this, I was just like, what is going on? Y'all can't – they. I know every time that they show or probably mention a, a, a Scarlett Johansson, a Robert Downey Jr., a, a Chris Evans, any of them, that they probably have to pay them. They probably have to pay them to have their their faces on stuff, on, on posters and shit like that. So I understand that they're trying to uh, remove them from the world, but it definitely feels like we're like – we're like hand length away, 10 feet – stay 10 feet away – the Eternals are in the same world, but we're not exactly going to have them like, you know, mashing shoulders or, you know, mashing shoulders, you know, rubbing up shoulders with uh, other MCU characters yet. 
So they find Ajax, their leader, dead. Um, and the whole part of the deviants absorbing the power of the Eternals feels like it kind of goes nowhere, in my opinion, which, again, it, it seems like a big fucking deal because they get like the damn, the zzz, 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 and they're like like being absorbed at one point. It's like, holy fuck is going on? You know, I, I was just like, this is intense. And when they're absorbing the power, what exactly are they able to do? They're they're able to do their power once they do that. I was like, okay, so um, that's not good at all. <laughs> so continuing on, what do we have? Um, Cersei is post. Uh, oh yeah, and we do have Game of Thrones. Feels like it's written all over this. I'm sure Game of Thrones was just finishing after um, during this segment of. Uh, sorry, I bet Game of Thrones. Season seven, season eight was finishing up when this was in post, uh, sorry, pre-production. And they were like, all right, we got to get everyone from Game of Thrones in. And so they had Kit Harrington, Richard Madden, and then they have someone named Cersei. It's like someone's been watching too much Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, but anyways, Cersei posthumously chosen by Ajax as her successor, granting her ability to communicate with Ashrim who reveals that the mission of the Eternals was not to fight the Deviants, but to prepare for the emergence, the quote-unquote emergence. Um, and just like tons of things in this movie, because we haven't been introduced to this side of the world, we get a layer, a fat, thick-ass layer straight on our lap of exposition. Holy Santa Claus. I think about three or four times there's flashes of exposition, whether it's uh, the Eternals at the beginning um, having to explain what's going on with um, uh, Angelina Jolie's character having like a dem superhero dementia of some sort. She'll just randomly start fighting her her fellow Eternals. Um, that could have gone somewhere cool. I don't think it ever does. I do like Angelina Jolie's character as I am really having a big fascination of uh, women that are like over 40, such as Nicole Kidman. We have the uh, Angelina Jolie effect. We have the Robin Wright effect. All of these badass women. And uh, what was her name? Linda Carter from Wonder Woman, I believe, shows up. Um, yeah, all of these uh, – you know, middle-aged women, not exactly the youngest, not exactly the oldest, but they they relatively are in uh, 30, 40, 50s, are coming in these superhero films and are absolutely kicking the most ass. How do we how do we get like the big little lies uh, superhero version of that? Like I was so fucking into having uh, Angelina Jolie come in and whoop some ass. She commands performance. She commands sexiness. She commands whooping ass. And there is not a second. I Even though I know in real life, real life Angelina Jolie is very um, – she's tiny. Isn't she pretty skinny and stuff like that? There wasn't a time in this that I didn't think she could whoop some ass. And I was here for it. I like this uh, – this section of superheroism that we're having with the aged up characteristics of the, of the characters. I was like, this is sick. Um, I, I like that. So Cersei is posthumously chosen, but okay. So uh, she chooses Ajax as her successor. 
sorry, a Ajax chooses Cersei as her successor um, to prepare for the emergence um, from Ashram. He's got to basically be birthed through the fucking planet because that's the best way to do it, I guess. I don't really remember exactly why. but So Ashram explains that for millions of years, the Celestials have been planting their seeds on populated planets for Celestials to be born. With the deviants sent by them to destroy the apex predators of each planet to ensure the development of new life. So the deviants were there to, I, you know, keep the predators in check, which be, would be the humans. But the thing is, the Eternals are there to try to help stop that. It's like if there's going to be a celestial born at all, just bursting through the fucking planet, then you don't even need the, the deviants. You don't even need the Eternals. You don't need anybody. You're going to fucking kill everybody when you have the, the birth of the, the, the emergence. So I'm like, what the fuck? What is going on? Um, all right. I guess I, I feel like anybody with like half – that would be able to write this down or just say it out loud would make sense. You don't need to do all this. So ultimately the antagonist is at a point where it's so fucking huge from not only a scale point, but it's just like, what is going on at this point? So, um, so yeah. Uh, however, okay. So the deviants were sent by the celestials to destroy the apex predators of each planet to ensure the development of life. However, the deviants evolved and began hunting the planet's native populations. The Celestials created the Eternals to, uh, to call them. Um, Ashrim explains that with the reversal of the blip, Earth has reached the necessary population for the birth of the Celestial, Tamut, which will result in... The destruction of Earth. This is when I do the, the look at the camera. I'm like, y'all got to be kidding me. I'm, I'm like, what the fuck is even? <laughs> what what is even at this point? So, um, so yeah, that's a massive exposition dump in that uh, that sentence. Um, sorry, in that paragraph. But continuing on, like I said, um, I got to say a couple things off the top of my head that I don't have written down. We're introduced to Kamel Nanjiani's character after the they in present day, and he is trying to be like a director, and he's got the same uh, comedy style that um, uh, Peter Parker Spider Man's having. Um, you know, very wondrous, very uh, inquisitive, very uh, self aware, I guess. And in a way that he does not sound like a 5,000-year-old god or whatever the hell he's uh, – eternal or whatever. Um, he definitely sounds like a modern-day take on whoever uh, – on a person. And, and so that was a little bit of uh, – he was the one that was providing the most fun for the movie. But it also clashed with the tones as well. So it's like oh, – it's like – it's almost like you have to write them as if they're 5,000 years old. But they've been living in modern age for such a long time that it's kind of – it's weird that these gods are just wanting to be normal people, I guess, which is – that's the whole tonal clash of it, I guess. Like we have Brian Tyree Henry's character who's 
um, an openly gay is in an openly gay marriage, and we see that, and the majority of his powers derive of him uh, providing uh, pieces of technology that help the human that help humanity progress. And it's like, holy shit, that is a you know a big mouthful. But it's like, I don't feel like the majority of things that these Eternals are doing um, feel like the natural course of progression. Maybe Brian Tyree Henry might might have been, but I just felt like I don't understand their motivation for wanting to live a normal human life, especially if they're not like aging at the same rate and looking at the same you know they address a couple things about like how they they age differently and how they are different than everyone else in the world but it's like they really don't address it head on it's not really about that and i and i kind of felt like that would have been more interesting and more fun to play with you know it's just like well this is just what it's like being uh, an ageless god in in this time but it didn't really feel like that at all um, I know that Shazam kind of goes in that realm, but it's even to that way. I don't even think it does. Uh, it hits it in the same same way. So yeah, and uh, the little Bollywood scene with the dancing of Kamel Nanjiani at the beginning. First of all, he didn't need to get that rip for this shit. I mean, he he's got the guns. He's like, I mean, I, I could I could feel how much they wanted to have the. Um, the Indian box office in this. There are several times I felt like I was like, Jesus, y'all are going head over heels for them, um, which is good. Not nothing, nothing bad. But I was just like, I almost felt like I was like, this feels like it's almost for, uh, coming from an Indian director um, for how much they were focusing on Camille Nanjiani's uh, culture and stuff like that. And again, the very last action scene does not feature Nanjiani. We do not have Kumel, one of the finger guns. We don't have him doing any of that stuff in this, uh, in the final act. It's a complete waste of a character um, at the end. So, and it, regardless if we get him in another movie or not, I feel like it was kind of a waste to have him that do so much in the movie and then not have him at the very end. So, having learned to love humanity, the Eternals reassemble and decide to prevent the emergence. That's the, I think this is the biggest problem is I'm not sure I believe I that the majority of the Eternals ever really loved humanity. I feel like the majority of them had loves in humanity. They, you know, uh, Jim and Chan had she, she Cersei like sort of loves Richard Madden, but also sort of loves uh, Kit Harrington. And to be honest, I. I I was like, I don't know about all this. Um, also, there's our first Marvel sex scene. Is that, is that our first Marvel sex scene with uh, Jim Chan and Richard Madden? They like are topless in bed with like full f what feels like fully clothed on. I was like, this is like a boring ass sex scene. I, I was, it's like this ain't nothing. Didn't wasn't uh, Iron Man and that one lady in the the reporter lady in the first movie? Didn't they have sex? I don't know. Um, so there's a lot of firsts in this movie. It was, uh, I think it's the first movie where they have a character that is openly handicapped. Um, and also first character that is openly personal or color and gay. 
But then, you know, two steps forward, one step back, everyone's like, oh, shit, the first openly gay character created the atomic bomb. It's like, ah, that's not exactly what happened. I, I, I let's let's not let's not say all that. But <laughs> I mean, it's technically what happened. But I just want to go along the line of of what actually happened in the movie. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I believe that Eternals reassembling really do love humanity that i think that's our, that's our biggest thing is i wanted i wanted like the tva kind of low-key section of them just to sit at a at a at a computer or something like that or have some sort of hologram pop up in front of them and show us all of the terrible things they've had to witness from humanity and how they've decided that they want to love humanity after that. Because I feel like the majority of the movie, they're like, eh, these humans probably shouldn't be making their own decisions. They're really doing a terrible job. But it's all about having the the idea of like free will and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, let's just continue on. I digress. Let me get a little bit of coffee. They reconvene in Kingo. Sorry, they reconvene with Kingo, Thena, Gilgamesh in Australia before heading to Druig's residence in the Amazon forest, where they are attacked by Crow and the Deviants. Um, and Druig is one of the more interesting characters. Because there's so many characters, there's no real way that we can have everyone's uh idealistic way of how to be an eternal. I like how Druig's like, why is everybody fighting? If everyone would just listen to me, then everyone would just listen to me and we wouldn't fight. And that's basically the idea. He's like, I don't want to fight the Eternals, but I also don't want to fight against what's going on. So he just kind of removes himself from the situation. But in the same way that we don't have Druig for like the first hour of the movie, basically, in the same way we don't really have much of Brian Tyree Henry, um, of the first hour, there's so much of the pacing. I feel like we should have been kind of hopping over to different characters to see what they were doing to understand where they're at uh, and their mindset. So, um, yeah, they are attacked by Crow and the Deviants. Crow kills and feeds on Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is a great guy in this movie, and all he wanted to do was just cook some nice dinner and have some spit beer and you know, crack some jokes, and he, he just seems like a fun guy. I, I kind of forgot about Gilgamesh in um, Train to Busan. I, I, that's where I first saw him in. But, uh, and he had these fucking boxing slapping gloves where he'd hit the deviant. He'd like, hi, yeah, he'd slap a fucking deviant bitch right on the slap, right on the side. Oh my gosh. So it sucked that we lost Gilgamesh. And I, I really enjoyed this. Was one of the good positive, the positive things about the uh, movie was the non, the, it, it was the sensual relationship between, um, I think it's Athena. What is it? Uh, Gilgamesh and Athena, I believe, I their their relationship. Uh, Angelina Jolie and Gilgamesh. She's he's taking care of her, but he cares. She cares about him. They're, they're, it's just like very sweet, and it's like it's like a non-sexual, very sensual, um, 
meeting and gathering of the two. You know, like when they're together and he's like helping for her and stuff like that. Um, it's just like, yeah, I can I can kind of feel the 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 chemistry between these two. Um, so when we lose them, it, it does kind of suck. But I also definitely saw that happening. So gaining a humanoid form and ability to speak before fleeing, the uh, the crow does. Crow, um, and I got to say that Crow kind of feels like inconsequential towards the end again. I, I was just like, I don't know about all that. So after Cremate and Gilgamesh, they visit uh, Fastos, who proposes for Druig to put Tamlet to sleep using his mind control powers amplified by the human mind, the human mind. And I got to say, every time I think that they come up with like the most uh, intergalactic, most outer space type theatrical word, like uh, celestials or something like that, they'll come up with a word like the uni mind. And I'm like, God dang, they really always they always outdo themselves with that. <laughs> so uh, a connection between all the sorry, the uni mind, sorry. Use Druig to put Talmud to sleep using his mind controls amplified by the uni mind. A connection between all Eternals, which we already lost an Eternal. This isn't going to be possible, man. I don't know why you're still saying this. Um, uh, Icarus reveals he was informed of the emergence by Ajak centuries before he fed her to the Deviants to prevent her from stopping it six days prior. And flees along with a life li sorry with a like-minded sprite the tinker tinkerbell or peter pan of the group which is a stupid fucking power i feel like she didn't have she can like she's like peter pan meets the invisible woman i guess i don't know kingo also leaves the group but as he does not wish to face ashram icarus or sprite so um, yeah, it, there's, there's a lot going on at this point and we're just like, holy, holy bejesus. Like, uh, is everyone just going to leave? Uh, and like I said, Kingo is, a uh, Kamal Nanjiani's character leaving the group. Um, he's like, fruit that I ain't going to do all this. Um, taking my documentary on the road. <laughs> so there goes the, uh, comedic. Uh, aspect of anyone having any fun in this movie. Um, so after Makari locates the place of the emergence at the foot of an active volcano in the Indian Ocean, of course we got to go out and bumfuck nowhere. All these Marvel things that can't connect anywhere have to be out and bumfuck nowhere. Not that the Indian is Indian Ocean is in bumfuck nowhere, but it literally is in the middle of the ocean. Um, the Eternals battle Icarus in Sprite before being attacked by Crow. Who is uh, – oh, yeah. Crow does come back. I forget. Crow is killed by Thena. Uh, so I was just like, wow. This is uh, this is an impressive fighting action scene. Some of it was long takes. Some of it was uh, wide scaling shots. I just ultimately was like it's taken too long for us to get to this, this final finale of whatever this is. So – uh, Druig knocks out Sprite after she attempts to kill Cersei. 
Um, and Cersei's already been stabbed by this point. I'm like, what is even – what can Eternals do if they are so much more powerful than every all these other superheroes? But if they're stabbed just the same, it's like, well, good God. Um, <laughs> so um, – so Eternals, uh, she attempts to Sprite attempts to kill Cersei, and the remaining, um, it is knocked out, and the remaining Eternals work together to subdue Icarus. Fastos activates the Unimind, um, and Cersei uses her matter transmutation abilities to turn Tamlet to marble. And I gotta say, from the the look of the fucking hand coming through the earth one of the most spectacular looks of ever you know things i've ever seen on big screen but like saying that i'm like dude y'all are going so fucking big how does how does the mcu just not show up how does nobody show up how does how does that none of that happen i understand that if it happens quickly that they can't get there super fast but like Captain Marvel can't show up. Like, what is going on? So it's just like, all right, what is? Do you want me to believe the MCU character? You know, the heroes are there or not? So, anyways, you got this big fucking dude trying to bust through the fucking world, and he's getting turned into damn um, marble. I got to say, Ashram have like these six six glowing eyes on his face. Very interesting looking design. Um, but yeah, what else do we got on here? A guilt-ridden Icarus flies into the sun and Circe then uses the remaining of the energy from the Unimind to turn Sprite into human, stripping her of her immortality, which I think everyone could have saw that happening. You can't just have a character say, I can't age, but unless you want me in the next movie. <laughs> so you got to get re- you got to remove that shit. You got to remove all the uh, the possibility of her aging so yes the peter pan girl is no longer the peter pan girl so athena druig and makari depart on their spaceship the domo to find other eternals while cersei fastos kingo and sprite remain on earth dame professes his love for cersei and is about to reveal a secret about his family history when she along with Fastos and Kingo, are remotely dragged into space by Ashram in full view of the people of Earth who is displeased with their treason, but elects to spare their humanity if the Eternals' memories show that, that humanity, sorry, humans are worth living, are worthy of living. He vows to return for judgment before disappearing into singularity, taking them with him. In the mid-credit scenes, Thena, Makari, and Druig are visited by the eternal Eros, the brother of Thanos, and his assistant Pip the Troll, who offer their help. In a post-credit scene, Whitman opens an old chest inherited from his ancestors that contains the legendary ebony blade when an unseen person questions him whether he is ready for it. And that, my friends, is the end of Eternals 20 
2021. Let me know what you thought about Eternals 2021. Let me know what you thought about the podcast. Thumbs up, subscribe, follow. You know what to do to help support the podcast. Go to luggedallpodcast.com. Go to uh, patreon.com slash podcast to get this podcast early. If I got anything wrong from the facts-wise or from the comic book-wise or from being able to pronounce anybody's name-wise, then um, please leave a nice, friendly comment in the comment section. Again, you can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. And um, of course, luckadollpodcast.com. Thank you for being a supporter, helping us out. You know what to do. Look at our podcast. Take it easy. You can't protect Perfect safe house. Well, what's this even made of? Vibranium. Fall collection. IKEA.